Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash Just News. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. We are recording on Sunday, April 10th. It's Palm Sunday. This episode will be broadcast most likely on Tuesday, the 12th. Victor Davis Hanson is the star and namesake of this show. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Practically everything Victor writes, practically every appearance he makes can be found at victorhanson.com. That's a website you should be subscribing to, and I will tell you about that in a few minutes. I'm Jack Fowler. I am the host. And today, Victor, I think this podcast should be practically an all Biden podcast. He's given us a number of this, a lot of low-hanging fruit. Let's just say that. Plus, we have some. What have uh, I done to you lately, Jack, to deserve this? <laughs> <laughs> what has America done? To deserve to deserve this, Victor. Well, let's get started talking about the Hunter laptop and the kind of mafia Rico aspect of this Delaware family. And we'll do that right after these important messages. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. Victor, here in New York on this Sunday, the New York Post has a big story about further revelations from Hunter Biden's laptop. These are tweets. So here's the headline. Hunter Biden frequently covered family expenses. Texts say, of course, this was the laptop that was not newsworthy. This was a laptop that was Russian disinformation. The story begins, Hunter Biden's access to lucrative financial opportunities also came with expectations, including kicking back as much as 50% of his earnings to his dad, text messages on his old laptop show, quote, I hope you can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years, end quote, Hunter groused to daughter Naomi in January 2019, quote, it's really hard, but I don't worry. Unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary, end quote. Pop, is Joe Biden, as we know, Victor, from some other things. He's the big guy. So, Victor, we have this never-ending cornucopia of bad news, if only it's reported as bad news, from this laptop. Again, to me, strikes me as that this family is a poor man's version 
of a mob with its own kind of old demented godfather who still needs to get his beak not only wet, but sloppy wet. I don't know. It sounds like it's a racketeering. What are your thoughts, Victor? Well, you're right. But given how mafias work, does Fredo get more money than Michael Corleone? I mean, there is no Biden crime syndicate without Joe. I mean, Hunter is just a distraction. He's the bag man. If Joe wasn't vice president, and then in that inter period, if he wasn't going to run for president, Hunter would have no income. And so would the brother have no income. And so would the niece. And so would the daughter and the whole, the sister. So it was all predicated on Mr. 10%, the big guy. He's Michael Corleone. So he deserves half, right? According to the laws of mafia, corruption, and crime. So Hunter's whining, you know, I didn't take half. Well, go out and find another crooked politician if you can. I mean, you're a minor crook and your dad is a big crook. So the big crook gets 50%. But I don't know. There's only one thing I didn't understand, Jack, and that is they call him at one point Mr. 10%, and the other time he gets half, 50%. So what I think is that on the income side, he gets a straight 10%. You know what I mean? So when he cuts the deals with the Ukrainians and the Chinese or what, they just send him, streamline him 10%. But in addition to that, once the money from all these sources gets into the central pot, then he takes 50%. So maybe he gets 60%. But the other thing I don't like about this whole thing is that they keep saying Hunter, Hunter's laptop. Hunter is irrelevant. He's just a dope hit. There's nothing, nothing there without Joe Biden. Take away Joe Biden and there is no income from the mediocre brother to the functionary sister to the daughter who can't find her diary where she confesses that she's worried she took showers with Joe for too long. I mean, this is this family is dysfunctional, but they have no income potential. It's not that Joe Biden is, you know, Albert Einstein or Jamie Diamond or Warren Buffett, but he has that big joker, white stained smile, and he had the hair plugs and the Botox and the tan, and he kept fit, his nude swimming that sort of shocked uh, female secret service. All of that meant he was Mr. Gladhandler, and they sent him as vice president. Obama thought he was just sending them to funerals all over the nation, so as Obama said, he can't F things up. Or as Bob Gates, who was at the time, the defense secretary, you know, he's been wrong on every major foreign policy decision the last 50 years. They thought they'd just get him out. Little did they know that he was using these globe trekking missions to cement ties for the Biden conglomerate. So then he, you know, he'd come back from China, he'd come back from Ukraine, he'd come back from Russia, and then he'd say, Hunter, there you go. Get going, boy. Get going, my son. And that's how it happened. So there is no Hunter Biden scandal. It's Joe Biden from A to Z. And of course, wow, everybody knows this. If this was Donald Trump, I mean, they, they'd go after him for having a hotel in Indonesia or Asia somewhere with a T on it. But if this was Donald Trump, he would have been impeached a third time fourth time, fifth time, the kids would be in jail. It's very funny, though, Jack, because the reason that you and I are talking about this, it's in the news. Now, what's changed in the news? Maybe Durham? I don't know. But there's doesn't really have that much yet to do with the Bidens. Maybe some leaks from a federal attorney in New York. They're looking at his taxes. I don't know. There's only one thing that I can think of that's changed, that Joe Biden served his purpose. He put all of this left-wing crap on his back, and he crawled across the, the finish line as old Joe from Scranton. And he gave a thin veneer of moderation to a Marxist socialist agenda. That's the only thing that I can think of. And now the left thinks, well, he was an asset. But now every time he opens his mouth, he's a deficit. And Camilla, she can't finish a sentence, but she didn't have to talk. We can just package her. She's black. She's a woman. She's younger. We'll put her up there at least for two years and we'll staunch the bleeding. So they're the ones is what I'm trying to struggle for, Jack. 
they, the left, the media, they are suddenly covering this story and they would never do that to one of their own unless they had a purpose. And the purpose is he's now expendable. And the only anticipation, the only mystery, the only thing we're not clear of, is he expendable now? Or will they just make sure he doesn't run for president again? I have a feeling that they would like to get rid of him in the next two years. Quicker, the better. Well, Victor, he's the gift that keeps giving. If you're into presidential dysfunction, I guess it's something we can laugh at while we pay more at the gas pump and the border (laughs) gets invaded and, and our national security dwindles. But there are a couple of things more about Biden directly from this last week. Well, a couple of things have to do with Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Let's put them aside for a second. Joe Biden invited Barack Obama to speak at the White House, and Obama took the podium to talk about health care. The first thing he did was make a, I think, a humiliating dig at Biden, calling him vice president, and then chuckle, ha, ha, ha I assume many people have seen the video afterwards of a kind of a pathetic Biden trying to gain the attention of the real star in the room who is ignoring him even while he's yanking at him. So, Victor, would you talk about Barack Obama and his public display towards his friend, Joe Biden? He never liked Joe Biden when they ran in 2008, thought Biden was a joke. Biden dropped out. Biden said a lot of racially insensitive things to Obama. He said he's the first clean black that could speak well, that ran as president. The put you all in change comment, the donut shop comment. He's Obama's looked at Biden since. He's he's looked at junkie comment. He's looked at you ain't black comment. He's looked at the Negro comment. He's looked at hey boy comment. Let us not forget, Jack, the corn pop saga. He looks at all that. He thinks this guy is a septuagenarian, senile, old racist. He doesn't like him. So every once in a while, he choreographs these scripts where he pops in to be the savior. Uh, The problem with that is, A, he thinly disguises, he can't disguise, I should say, his disdain for Biden. So as you say, he deliberately goes there and becomes a rock star and everybody you know, bloms onto him and then Biden sort of shuffles around like he's at a cocktail party that, you know, that nobody wants him there. And then Obama plays up to the crowd. But then the other thing is, Jack, when Obama starts speaking, it's Obama. So he lies. He lies all the time. You remember he said in these little extemporaneous remarks, you know, I had a real problem getting people riled up about Russia. Remember that? I had to get The Wall Street Journal was so outraged, they ran a special piece on that. I mean, if we could just pause for a second, Barack Obama was the president when Hillary Clinton, his designated secretary of state, who became secretary of state, pushed a button in Geneva in 2009 called reset. They mistranslated the word for a while, but it was reset. And they said George Bush was too hard on the poor Ruskies over Osatia. We're going to have an open dialect. And what did they do? They immediately started to lose deterrence. And they kept in that missile deal on intermediate range missile that was asymmetric. And when John Kerry got into an impasse, when he knew that the Syrians were cheating on WMD and Obama had staked his presidency on red lines, and if I see stuff moving around, that's a red line. He called in the Russians after 40 years, and they're still there, and they control Syrian airspace to this day. When it was a time to, you know, I don't know, address Osatia, maybe, in the hot mic exchange in Seoul, South Korea. Remember that? Again, I've said this before, Jack, but they said three things, Medvedev and Obama. He said, tell Vladimir that I will be more flexible on missile defense after the election if he will give me space. And what did Putin do? Putin gave him space. He didn't invade eastern Ukraine or Crimea in 2012 or 13. After he got his space, he invaded. And what did Obama do? He did what he promised. He dismantled missile defense plans and agendas in Poland and the Czech Republic. And third, Obama got what he wanted. He got reelected. 
So it was a win-win-win situation. And right now, had we had missile defense, I think a lot of those Eastern European countries would feel a lot more secure. And that's on Obama. He did not sell them javelins. He put that off the table. I think blanket, remember, was it blankets and C rations or K rations? I can't remember. But he didn't sell them offensive weapons. And he appeased him. And that's why he invaded twice on Obama's watch. And that's why he never invaded on Trump's watch. And that's why he went back and invaded on Biden's watch. Biden was the vice president. Everybody knows that about Obama. So the other final thing is he detests Biden for one reason, among many, you know, that he's non-compos mentos, he's inept, he's cruel, et cetera. But Obama feels that as the first black hard left president, probably since FDR, but the first black president, he had certain burdens that he couldn't seem too radical or he would, after he lost the house, especially in 2010, he thought he wasn't going to get it. So he had to moderate, he feels, I mean, it's pretty radical as far as I'm concerned, but Biden comes in and he unleashes Elizabeth Warren and the Bernie brothers and he unleashes the squad and he's hard left. And Obama's going, oh, my God, I'm the revolutionary kingpin. How did this guy absorb my left-wing credentials? And so, you know, he's so mad about that that we saw at the way back at the funeral for John McCain, it was Obama that hijacked that funeral oration for McCain, remember? And he said that we've got to let uh, D.C. and Puerto Rico be states. We've got to end the filibuster right at a funeral. And ever since then, he's been trying to reclaim his fides as the true leftist revolutionary. Right. But it's, it's all talk. And meanwhile, what is what is Obama descended into? He's got his $50 million Netflix. They got all these little book deals. He has no expertise as far as a creative designer. He couldn't even finish a book on constitutional law for which he took one or two years sabbatical. He had a dismal, t- he never did anything other than be I'm Barack Obama, A, I'm a black man, B, I have an exotic name, and C, racist like Harry Reid and Joe Biden think that I'm presentable because I don't you know, right. have an inner city. That's what he did. Right. And nothing else. And now he's got a mansion in Colorado. He's got a mansion on Martha's Vineyard, and he's building another mansion in Hawaii. And his friends are all in professional sports as billionaires or they're in Hollywood or on Wall Street. And that's who he is. Right. You know, Victor, along those lines, John Yu, who is friends of both of us, I love John. He was a colleague of Barack Obama's at the University of Chicago. And he said, you know, the school had very strict requirements for the professors. You had to attend this meeting and that meeting or this, you know, a staff lunch, et cetera. There were a few protocols that everyone had to adhere to, no exceptions, except for one person who never. And John, I think he said his door was maybe two doors down from Obama and maybe he saw him once. So uh, there's a lot of tension there between the two, because Joe Biden is a mediocrity. He plagiarized. He lied about his scholarships in law school. He lied about his ranking in the class. He was suspended, I think, for cheating, lying, plagiarism, whatever. And he was a mediocre student. And then Obama paraded around as if he was the Harvard Law School, you know, review editor. And he was a University of Chicago constitutional scholar. But in Biden's mind, it was all a fraud because if it wasn't, I mean, everybody made fun of Biden's dismal grades that he lied about, but at least they found out what they were. I mean, Obama went to Occidental, then he transferred to Columbia, then he went to Harvard Law School. He never released one grade. To this day, his enablers have covered up his entire transcript at those three institutions. And when he got to Chicago, we have no real record of what he ever did. So he was at the forefront of what we call equity grading that we just create an entire separate set of standards for someone who is considered a woke African-American politician. And that's just the way it was. And so Biden is kind of, you know, Biden was even more mediocre than Obama was, but Biden had to play by different rules where he was outed, he was ridiculed, he had to drop out of the race. 
1988. People made fun of him. And he was just shown to be a charlatan. Right. So was Obama. Even his memoir, remember that, Jack? He confessed right. that he was basically a fabulist. And yeah. so, but nobody cared. His composite girlfriend. I think we talked about that recently. Yeah, I mean, everybody today say Joe Biden is a pathological liar. He said the other day that he was a semi-truck driver. Remember that story? He dug it up out of the that that old saw. Well, right. I'm here. I, was a, I drove one of those trucks, but that's another story. No, that's another lie, Joe. And then he told us that, you remember, that his family were, that Neil Kinnock line he stole during the uh, 88 campaign, that he was the first one in his family that came out of the mines. Right. <laughs> I don't think there'd been a coal miner's mine for three or four, his family for three or four generations. And so he made all that stuff up. So he's been Joe, the truck driver, Joe, the miner. And Joe, oh, remember he, Joe hit the home run. he hit a home run, didn't he? In the, in the Senate game where he said he put on his uniform when they put as senators, they played baseball. And he said he knocked one over the fence. I never heard that. But yeah, I, I think I so. I, there was no record of it. Yeah. Remember, he was a prisoner in South Africa. He yes. was a member of a black church in Delaware. He was arrested. Wasn't he almost arrested in South Africa? He, he said he was arrested, yes. actually, which was a Yeah. You've written about it, Jack, so I don't need to remind you that some of this is not funny because he promulgated that lie about the poor truck driver involved in the fatal accident with his right. first wife and essentially destroyed that poor man's life by lying about the circumstances of that tragic accident. Well, Victor, one other thing quickly about the tension between Obama and Biden possible is that remember Joe Biden is the one that kind of forced Obama's hand on gay marriage. He did. He did. He blurted it out. Remember that they supported yeah. gay marriage and that they were trying to transition. And then I think Obama not only accepted the Biden lead, but then pretty soon he was weighing in as it remember they were trying to label Trump in 2016 that he wasn't sensitive enough to gay issues. Right. And Obama. And I think somebody, I think Trump himself said, at least I'm for gay marriage in the way you weren't when you ran. And so, yeah, he he really forced Obama to the left. Yeah. Yeah. So just another maybe explanation for this relentless disdain of, and, of his and old Robert buddy. Gates, Robert Gates wasn't wrong, Jack, when he said he was wrong on every major foreign policy decision. Remember, he was the one that wanted to trisect Iraq basically give the north, northern Iraq, the Shia to Iran. And he wanted to have a Sunni enclave, enclave in central Iraq and then give the rest to the Kurds and divide it up. Well, another big burden, as I recall, he was one of the few, if the only dissenting voices on the bin Laden raid, right? He didn't it was approve. the only one, I believe. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I don't well, know. Well, he's our we president and we're stuck with him. Yeah, it's all predictable. So, Victor, we're going to talk about Joe Biden and Katanji Brown-Jackson and some more public displays of both colossal hypocrisy and a little Biden lunacy. And we'll get to that right after these important messages. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show, recording on Palm Sunday, April 10th, 2022. I'm Jack Fowler. Hey, if you want to know what I do, go visit civilthoughts.com. I'm the director of the Center for Civil Society. And one of the things I do is write a weekly email newsletter called Civil Thoughts. It's free. Check it out, please. And while you're checking things out, 
check out victorhanson.com. Told this before on many podcasts, but we have many, many new listeners, uh, regular listeners. Victor, again, we're in the top 10 of, of all the political podcasts in the nation this week. Victor writes significant amount of original material that you can read only on victorhanson.com. It's cheap, very reasonable, very affordable, $5 a month, $50 a year, and copious amount of content. It's labeled Ultra, but you can only check out Ultra if you subscribe. So please do that. And there are links galore to Victor's books and appearances, et cetera. So that's Victor Hanson, S-O-N.com. Victor, more Biden. So Katanji Brown-Jackson was confirmed to the Supreme Court. She will take that position there, I, I believe, at the beginning of the next term. We can talk about that a little bit later if you want. But two things. It was a ceremony on the White House lawn after her confirmation. And this is just another case of the non-compassmentous part of Joe Biden. He was beginning some phrase, sentence, America is a nation that can be described in one word. And then it was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. All of a sudden, he started talking about walking in the foothills of the Himalayas. I forget who it was with. It could have been Shanghai Czech. It could have been Mao. I forget exactly. It was Chi. Was it Chi? Oh, yeah. Oh, see, they were, oh, yeah. They were vice presidents. So Joe Biden was trying to tell everybody that he knew him before he was famous. Yeah. And there was something about 7,000 miles. and 17,000 miles. Yeah, it was just total preposterous talk. And I cannot help but think most Americans and most leaders abroad would say, holy crap, this is the leader of the free world. What does he know what the hell's going on? So, you know, that's kind of self-explanatory embarrassment. We've talked about that before. If you want to say anything, please do. Well, everybody's made allowances for it. And so, you know, there was a Russian historian pro-Putin that was quoted the other day. They were trying to see if Joe's swagger and his, I guess what we'd call his provocative language toward Putin when it was not backed up by commiserate force was dangerous. And so they asked this Russian expert and said, well, when he's called him a bully, he's calling him a killer, he's calling him a war criminal, does that bother? And he said, no, no. They just come out and clean it up later. They just come out and correct it. And it was basically they were saying, Everybody thinks he's crazy and he just says stuff. And then they come out and I guess he was implying that if they didn't deny it, maybe it would be. And that was in the context, too. Remember that while Joe was using those invectives, I have no problem with them. They're probably true. But if you're going to do that, then please don't ask the Russians to pump more oil. And please don't ask the Russians to put off certain... I guess, 16 entities off your hacking list. And please don't ask the Russians to help. Please help us get another unfavorable Iran deal. And you can be our interlocutor. And, you know, please don't tell the Russians, well, we won't sell them harpoon missiles or more javelins because we don't want to offend you. And then call at the same time, killer, bully, war criminal. That's the problem. Well, Victor, another problem. Here's a story. From the same event, or same day anyway, this is from Yahoo News from Friday, April 8th. Biden hits out at GOP's quote-unquote verbal abuse against Gitanji Brown-Jackson. U.S. President Joe Biden spoke out against the verbal abuse endured by Judge Gitanji Brown-Jackson at her confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court, dot, dot, dot. His quote, the anger... The constant interruptions, the most vile, baseless assertions and accusations. In the face of it all, Judge Jackson showed the incredible character and integrity she possesses, end quote, Biden said during a speech on the South Lawn at the White House. Victor, I'm going to say the obvious thing here. This is colossal hypocrisy. This man who's talking about Republicans questioning this nominee is the same man who was the ringmaster of the of what Clarence Thomas rightly called is the you know the high tech lynching of an uppity black man when Joe Biden was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee back in the early 90s uh, of course he also pulled a similar kind of destruction of character against Bob Bork a few years earlier and i just i mean the hypocrisy is is just just massive 
and it's a case of projection. But Victor, I just want to say one other thing before I'll shut up and you please have at it. And we've talked about this before. The behavior of Joe Biden in this particular case is no surprise to anyone. And we knew what we were getting. We would get if he was elected. And a lot of people who should have stood up at the time and said, all right, I can't stand Donald Trump, but this guy is going to throw us to the wolves as a nation. He is that bad. They preferred to grind their teeth about Trump rather than help forestall America having this guy as president. Anyway, Victor, sorry for the rant. What's your rant? Yeah, I, I think they invented the word borking, didn't they? Because of Biden when he was the head of the Senate Judiciary Committee. That was in 87, I think. That, yeah. And the thing about it was, is this is a good reminder to all of our quote unquote Republican friends that you're dealing with people you don't understand, the hard left. So when you show magnanimity, they interpret that as weakness to be exploited, not to be reciprocated with similar kindness. So when Joe Biden, I'm trying to reconstruct this extemporaneously, but as I remember, Joe Biden was ahead of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he rode that horse for the presidency. And we've just talked about his plagiarizing and that. I guess the thing that did him in, Jack, was that speech about Neil Kinnock, you know, that I'm the first one in my family. He just... It did. Stole it verb. Okay. So he came in, as I remember, to the Senate Judiciary Committee and he offered to resign. He was an, I mean, he was a laughing stock. And he would they could have got rid of the SOB. I mean, they, they controlled the Senate, the Democrats, but they could have got rid of Biden. And the Republicans said, Oh no, Joe, these things happen. Stick around. I think it was maybe Strom Thurmond, one of those guys. And they let him do it. And then to regain his fee days, he conducted the hearings and went after Robert Bork and single-handedly destroyed him. He assassinated his character, along with Teddy Kennedy, his partner. And when they got done with Robert Bork, he was a, you know, a fork-tailed devil. That's what they did. And he did the same thing to Clarence Thomas. And so then he has the gall to stand up there and say, and this is after Kavanaugh hearing. And he has the gall to get up there and say anything about her confirmation hearing that was polite. And there was an issue there. And that was that when she had people before her that had been involved in child sex and pedophilia, and there were guidelines, not interpretations, not suggestions, but guidelines, how judges should appropriately punish, she didn't follow them. She showed leniency to people who either didn't deserve it or did it again. Those were all legitimate questions. And I guess they had so bothered Mitt Romney that he had not approved her when she was a federal appellate court judge. That's a whole different story. But the point is, uh, Joe Biden, I think you could say, along with Teddy Kennedy, not that they didn't do it in the 60s during Nixon administration, but You can make the argument that Joe Biden and Teddy Kennedy inaugurated the modern political practice of trying to destroy a conservative judge when he went up for confirmation in the Senate. They were open game. And he did that because he was at his nadir. He was all through. He was discredited. He was even thinking about resigning because they had shown the world had seen him as a liar and a plagiarist. Boy, when he took up that And he had acted as if he was going to be moderate with both Bork and later Thomas. That's the mechanism he used to get back into the good graces of the Democratic Party, the left, and the country. And if they had have just said, okay, Joe, you are a plagiarist, and you are a liar, and you did lie about your law degrees, and this is a legal committee, and we are entrusted with having high standards of integrity. Otherwise, we would not be leading the inquiries over potential Supreme Court justices. And therefore, by your own admission, you should be disqualified. They just The Republicans just had have said that. I'm not sure they would have got him out, but he offered to resign. And yet they let him go. Yeah, the real hard device of political divisiveness in our nation is found in these events and Joe Biden's fingerprints are all over it. But again, many people knew and few, some, (laughs) the margin of victory, I would contend, chose not to make a point of that in 2020. So Victor, we're going to go back in a way to the Hunter laptop, which came up in an event 
in Chicago this past week about disinformation. And we'll talk about that <laughs> right after these important messages. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show, the Palm Sunday recording edition. We are being broadcast on the World Wide Web's on Tuesday, the 12th. So, Victor, the Atlantic Magazine had a conference titled Disinformation and the Erosion of Democracy. And two events happened there that I think are noteworthy. And I think um, embarrassment should be considered embarrassment to major media figures. Both of these embarrassments were caused by uh, freshman college students at the University of Chicago, where I believe this conference was being held. So the first event had to do with a panel. Anne Applebaum was on it. So Anne Applebaum is once upon a time, I mean, she's a great author of great history of, of the gulag, the wife of Radek Sikorsky, who I must say is a friend. Radek used to work at National Review, where I used to work long, long time ago, worked together. Radek ended up, he was a Polish national, and he was the foreign minister of Poland and the uh, speaker of their house, the equivalent of the speaker of their house, and still very engaged in Polish affairs. They are very, very hostile to the uh, um, who's the head of Hungary? Oh, the Orban, you know, the yes. Central Europeans who are not kowtowing to the EU. Uh, you can find Anne Applebaum regularly decrying that and decrying conservatives in America now. Anyway, a student named Daniel Schmidt asked a question. Did the media act inappropriately when it immediately dismissed Hunter Biden's laptop as uh, Russian information? And Anne responded that she found this story totally irrelevant. Hunter Biden's business relationship had nothing to do with who should be the president of the United States. And, and this line, this statement that I think so encapsulates the arrogance of so much of the media and elitists and the way she said it, I recommend folks go find it on the web. I don't find it to be interesting. Of course, it's not interesting. The laptop contains evidence, most likely, of Big Joe being on the payroll of the guy he was hiking with in the Himalayas. So that's one story from this conference. And then the next day, another kid, Christopher Phillips, who's also a freshman, he confronted Brian Stelter, the great CNN bowling ball. And he asked him about CNN engaging in disinformation on Jussie Smollett, Russian collusion, hoax, the laptop, that Stelter constantly, he makes a, a living attacking the Fox News. And uh, Stelter just passed on the whole thing, essentially saying there's no there there. He wasn't as offensive, I think, as Applebaum was the day before, but it was, you know, a not answer of, of a question. But it was heartening that these two young, very well-spoken students stuck it to these two prigs Anyway, Victor, they have nothing to say, Jack. So Ann Applebaum can only say it's she thought it was a non-story. And I don't know if she's being disingenuous or she's that ignorant, because, again, the story is not about Hunter Biden. It's about the president of the United States. Think of this, everybody. The president of the United States, the current when he was running for office two weeks before the election, his son, crackhead all types of lost a laptop. No one denied that it was Hunter Biden, including Hunter Biden. There were people who knew about the laptop because they had had communications from it. They testified or they said on television that it was accurate, that their communications corroborated what was on the laptop. And on the laptop and these Initial disclosures, we were told basically that Joe Biden, in the words of his own son, was taking money, likely illegally, from foreign governments. Okay? And so that's what it was. And we'll, we can talk later about the 50 former professional intelligence officers that were rounded up to lie that it was likely Russian disinformation. But that's what it was. And for her to dismiss that as nothing means that she is just a partisan hack because 
that is news. And it's even greater news that Silicon Valley suppressed that information because they found it possibly harmful to Joe Biden. And they sat on the fact that they knew it was an authentic laptop for, what, 18 months? And only after they found that Joe Biden was now a liability to the Democratic project did they start sort of, well, we're sort of sorry. And Jim Clapper said, well, I kind of had an out. I kind of said it may be disinformation. So that's what it was. As far as I can hardly keep my temper controlled when I remember CNN. So, of course, Jeffrey Zucker, remember what during the primaries he bragged on Trump. Trump had made him a lot of money, he said, because they were doing CNN stuff like Morning Joe. Remember Trump would just cut in and call? So they, <laughs> they would just stop everything and they'd play. They they played, right. And they sucked all the oxygen out of the room for anyone else. So they, I don't they, know. Yeah. I think it was, I don't know if it was Ted Cruz or Rand Paul, but Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, but they all sort of said that Trump had got a billion dollars in free media coverage because of that no so, question no Jeffrey question. Zucker liked him but when you think of CNN I you know I've written five or six articles I beat that dead horse because I can just off the top of my head tell you that the last three four five years have been the most corrupt period in any network's history at CNN under Zucker remember when Lawrence O'Donnell that fanatic got on there and he kept saying that Trump had gone to Russia and he disclosed confidential stuff about intelligence operations to Putin. And then he said that the oligarchs had co-signed loans for Trump. And then it was all a lie. And that guy that they always had on there, Skewtu, you know, he had said that. I think he was the person who had first said that Trump had endangered that spy's life. Again, he renounced that entire thing. And he was one of their marquee reporters. I think they had a line. You remember the mooch? They said that he was involved with the oligarchs and he was getting money and Scaramucci. They had to apologize for that. Remember all, oh, Kathy Griffith holding up the head, CNN consultant of Donald Trump. There was Anderson Cooper. I remember he said, if you, I think he said that to, uh, was it Jeffrey Lord? He said, if you had a, it was kind of foul. He said, if somebody dumped a load of blank on this table, you would still defend him. Can't forget Jack Candy Crawley. Remember the CNN moderator who hijacked the entire 2012 debate and became a partisan? Absolutely. Uh, and then there was that oops, Donna Brazil. Remember Donna Brazil leaking a CNN contributor, leaking debate questions to Hillary Clinton in the primary? That was CNN. So was that, um, I'm trying to remember her name, Malvu. Do you remember her? Malvu? African American. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she got caught in a hot mic saying she wished, I think she wished that Donald Trump's plane would crash. And even those guys, CNN, Michael Hayden, the guy that said everybody should be in Gestapo, I mean, that Trump's immigration policy was like Nazi Germany. He was a CNN contributor. Don't forget Chris Cuomo. Yes, he was. And Andrew McCabe, too. Remember the liar who lied three times to federal investigators? They hired him. And then there was that, oh, remember this? <laughs> you remember when they all, remember after hands up, don't shoot that lie about Ferguson, that Obama's, Eric Holder's Justice Department found there was no evidence that Michael Brown had ever held his hands up. Right. And what did they do? They walked around the CNN table. Was that that Cone woman, Miss Cone, Sally uh, Cone? They all got up and they put their heads up and they moved their hands and said, oh, I guess now it's time to get into scandals. You mentioned Andrew Quo. Well, how about Don Lemon? Isn't he being sued right now for putting his hands in his pants and asking? That, that suit has been been dismissed. That has. But it was last week. It's nice to hear you call him Lemon and not Lemon. I like that. Lemon. It's like I call the same thing with Smollett rather than Smollett. That's something. That, and Je- uh, yeah. And Jeffrey Tubin coming, you know, getting back in good graces, right? You know, then they have their premier people. I don't know all of them, but Thomas Frank, you know, that reporter, not the other Thomas Frank, but they fired him for, I think he was this, the Scaramucci person who lied about that. Oh, Skiotto had was involved with, didn't they bring back Carl Bernstein too? You remember when they were... Uh, I don't... Maybe they yeah, did. They I, did. I, yeah, he was on CNN. He was always during the impeachment. 
And he yeah. was saying that this was worse than Watergate. And then they right. had Lanny Davis was supposed there was something about Michael Cohen and Lanny Davis was supposedly their ironclad source. And they started releasing things that Michael Cohen was going to do this. And then they asked Lanny Davis, were you the source for Bernstein and Skiota? I said, no, no. And then I know that Gloria Bolger and Jake Tapper wrote something they got cause for. I'm trying to think something. Oh, they had the guy. Oh, Jack. Now that we're into, I'm on fire now. Remember Chris Cuomo? <laughs> I noticed. Remember Chris Cuomo when he was supposedly in isolation <laughs> for COVID? And they, he, and during his uh, voluntary shutdown, he managed to go out and yell at some guy at a building site of his new home. Right. Was, yeah. And that was all staged when he finally came out that he... He, had, he was sweating, right? He came yeah, up, up from the basement. And we haven't even gotten touched on Cuomo uh, suing CNN for tipping off his brother, which supposedly he had a right to to do. So Chris Cuomo, and I don't like to speak ill of the dead. Wasn't Anthony Bourdain the cook? He was he, a, yeah, he was a CNN remember guy. Remember he said they asked what he would do if he could poison somebody, say so poison. If he had yeah. to cook a meal for Trump, he would poison him. Yeah, that's kind of like the Griffith idea of cutting somebody's head off. Yeah. Oh, there was that other guy, the religious consultant, Raza, Raslan, Aslan, the guy that said that he ate brain, human brains. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and a docu CNN documentary. And then he said something that Trump is SHI and they fired him as well. Mm -hmm. Remember, CNN said that Donald Trump had access to all the WikiLeaks yeah. documents. I remember that. I mean, I could go on, but you get yeah. the impression that it's not anything other than a group of mediocre liars. And they've all their marquee reporters have either had at one point in their careers to withdraw the stories or they've been fired or their consultants have used profanity or obscenity and. It's the proof of the pudding that's in the eating. They have no ratings whatsoever. Right. None. So Jeffrey Zucker destroyed that whole entire network. And then he's gone now, isn't he, Jack? Yeah, but, but you know, nice firing if you can get it, I think. He, he <laughs> left, with the, left with a nice package. And so he, did his uh, girl, mistress, girl, yeah, wife, whatever she is now. And he was sort of, according to Chris, he sort of liked the idea that CNN had, I don't know, inside knowledge of uh, Andrew Cuomo's scandals in real time via his brother. So it's a corrupt, corrupt news agency. And, um, you know, I don't know why it's still at some airports, but other than that, it, there's nothing there. There's no there there with CNN. Yeah. Victor, I hate to tell you this, but it's Jim Shuto, which I would say he is also uh, an alumnus of my high school as is Anthony Fauci. So uh, are there any dots to connect there, but there you have it. Oh, what did they teach? It, what did they teach people at that high school? Latin how to, and Greek. How, how to lie? <laughs> well, not that there was, no, there were Cretan liars. All uh, Let's just say it's a school that's very confused. Actually, my college, I'm an alumnus of Holy Cross, which just last week named their science center after Anthony Fauci. So I don't know what to do, Victor. I'll just ignore where I went to high school and college. Well, we're running out of time, though, my friend. On this podcast, we have to do a few things here, as we typically do at the end of the show. Read a couple of our messages from our listeners. And here's two we're going to read today. One, this really nice one from Michael Pariso, and he writes, it is really nice to be able to get a good, honest breakdown and evaluation of current events and things unfolding around the world. Victor does this without getting too emotional or hyped up. You can be informed without your blood pressure going through the roof. Thank you, Victor. Michael wrote that, by the way, at iTunes, and you can do the same. Leave a rating goes up to five stars. So if you listen on iTunes, please do that. Also, I mentioned on previous podcasts, we Victor will be away for a couple of weeks, but we are not going to have any hole in the schedule. We're going to pre-cut some podcasts and answering the questions our listeners would like Victor to answer. So this is a good place to leave some of those questions. That's again on the iTunes message spot. So one other comment, Victor. Tiny bit long, but pretty nice. And it's from someone named Jim who calls himself that wise one. And it's titled Marine Family. 
I would like to thank you for the way you refer to the United States Marine Corps, especially with their combat in World War II. My father was a Marine at Okinawa. The only thing he said about it was walking and fighting back and forth a couple times about the length of the island. He always believed he would die on Easter Sunday. It bothered him every year. He passed on Halloween 40 years after. His brother was wounded at Guadalcanal. My mother's brother was in Edson's Raiders in the Marine Corps, was killed on Tulagi. Sorry for sharing more than I should, but you seem very sincere when you refer to your uncle and his sacrifice. Thanks just for being a voice of reality. My father's father was with the New York Police Department, and my mother's family worked for Ford in Edgewater, New Jersey, not members of the elite, Jim. Thanks, Jim, for that, and Michael, for your comment, and all others who have left comments. We truly appreciate it. We know, again, repeating that we have a lot of new listeners. The show is regularly in the top 10 of America's political podcasts. We are housed at John Solomon's justthenews.com. That's where that's our home. But you can find this podcast, download, listen to it on Stitcher, iTunes, Google, etc. Again, I'd like to recommend to our listeners to visit victorhanson.com. Check it out. Subscribe. Uh, you will have no regrets in doing that. And again, you'll find, and only there, a lot of original writing by Victor. So Victor, that's it for this edition. I'm going to say goodbye and you can say goodbye and and, uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you everybody for listening and I appreciate it. And just a final thought to the letter writer, the word Okinawa, when I grew up, nobody said the word Okinawa. They just did not speak it because of the death of Victor Hansen and what they felt as most people who were parents, they felt that the army had done the Marines a great injustice, used them as sort of shock troops without giving them the opportunity to do what they did best, amphibious landings behind enemy lines that might have uh, hastened that victory. So I I can uh, empathize with the reader. Okinawa, I didn't really know anything about it until I was in college because my father would not speak about it. My grandfather wouldn't either. Okay, thank you, Jack. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.